Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take. But there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I'm Eric Cole, one of your hosts. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the minor league editor for the better part of five seasons now. And I've also taken over the deputy site manager position over the last couple of years. And if you haven't found me over there, you've probably found me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K, where I've been ranting about major league, minor league baseball, mostly Braves, sometimes not. And sometimes it's just about things that are bothering me in any given moment. Uh, joining me this evening is my good buddy and uh, colleague from over at Talking Chop, Matt Powers, who you can follow on Twitter at MattPowers31. Matt, how are you, buddy? Great. We're talking about prospect rankings, so it's always upside to that. Yeah, <laughs> these are always long weeks. For those who aren't aware, the, the big project for us this week, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts, is that we are going to be doing our top 30 prospect lists. We do that update twice a year. One's a preseason list. Usually comes around the turn of the, the turn of the year, whether it be like sometimes it's like late December in the, that year or early January that off season, one of those two. And that's kind of the one where we kind of make sure we, you know, we talk to as many people as possible, get other outside inputs and all the other stuff. Mid, the mid-season one is kind of incorporating the draft class, making adjustments up and down as we see fit. Just to kind of keep things fresh. Because if you only do one list, if you only do one list a year, it feels like you're kind of missing an opportunity to talk about some guys and kind of get a trend for for a lot of these guys as to how they develop. So we, we decided that a long time ago, back when 2015, I think is when we started doing it, is when I started and I was, it was just me and Garrett back then, is that we would, you know, do a mid-season update and then we would do one in the off-season and just do two lists each year. Not like a rolling list or anything like that. That's a little bit much. It's just kind of, you know, constantly adjusting guys up and down. That's a little bit too, that's a little bit too finicky for me, but, you know, having those two lists kind of gives us a way to like trend how, how we're thinking about guys and, you know, kind of keeping that information fresh and fresh in our minds too. Um, for all the, that list is completely rolled out now. We rolled it out during the All-Star break. It was six guys at a time. So we also had an honorable mentions list that came out the, on Sunday. Garrett wrote that. And then it was six guys a day for five days. The, the final six, the top six went up today. 
So you can find that over on Talking Chop if you need this, as, if you want to use that as a reference while you're listening to this. We're going to do our best to kind of cover guys. I don't necessarily, I don't want to be like super like, you know, make sure you read lists or, you know, that you can figure out who we're talking about. And, you know, we won't let you know who's number eight, but, you know, we'll give you a hint type stuff. We're, we're just going to be talking about guys and kind of the things that we're making this list really interesting for us and really difficult for us uh, in this particular podcast. And we also asked for some questions from Twitter, which we're going to try to go through and see if there's anything else that, you know, my, topics that were important to you guys. Uh, as you were kind of taking in this content. Um, no surprise. Christian Pache was number one. Uh, he was a unanimous number one. We don't generally have issues with number one prospects. It's just kind of the way it's worked out for us. Um, there's usually at very least a, a heavy majority there. You'll see a little bit of variation every once in a while, but for the most part, we've all kind of been on the general same page or been relatively close as, as to who's the, who's the number one prospect. So, in your mind, Matt, what what made Pache just such an easy kind of choice for the number one pick? Overall upside. I mean, there's nobody else in the system that has his overall five-tool upside. I mean, the closest would be pitching, but obviously he has such loud tools, the defense, the speed, the arm, the ability to potentially hit for power, which is starting to really come along. The ability to just make contact with the baseball. I mean, really, he doesn't seem to have any major weaknesses anymore now that he's added power, which used to be his biggest weakness. He seems like he's, at this point, starting to develop some sense of plate discipline, which was his next biggest issue when he got rid of the lack of power being his biggest issue. So every time he's come up with a new biggest issue, he's found a way to get around that and solve that and improve that area significantly and just keep on improving his stock as a prospect, doing exactly what you'd want with the development path. So the funny thing about Pache for me is that no one's confused that this kid had world-class athleticism, right? We knew he was fast. We knew he was great defensively. We've known that for a couple years now, is that he's a really good defensive center fielder, we knew that he had the build to be to hit for some power. The swing was a little funky. weren't sure if that if there was going to be a, there were there were going to be approach issues that down the line were going to be really big problems, and like continue to get worse and worse as he went up the ladder. Which is what you always worry about with any prospect is that if they have a, a flaw that like is kind of being exposed at one level, what happens when you go to the next level? And you know. Pitchers get smarter and other teams get smarter and they know kind of how to attack you and they know how to execute those attacks, which is kind of the biggest thing is that a lot of teams know like, hey, this guy has trouble with good breaking balls, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your pitchers have the ability to throw them. But as you go up in the minor leagues, you're going to find more guys who can do that or you can more guys that can take advantage of a specific approach that you have or your swing or, you know, your tendencies and things like that. And those pitchers are going to know how to utilize that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And What's been great about him is that he's still striking out a bit too much, and that's that is a fair criticism of what he's been doing this year. Is that he's about twenty five percent, maybe a little less than twenty five twenty five percent of the time, is that he's been striking out, and you know you you think about it and you wonder about that, but you also think, hey, he's younger, maybe he'll just like learn how pitchers are pitching to him, and he'll like continue to get better and better. And this year has shown that he has the ability to improve in multiple aspects of his game. And what blew me away, and I, I I suspected this, and I'd seen something like it, last year he walked a grand total of 20 times. That's bad. 
Um, that, that you know the the sub five percent walk rate for a guy who has one of, some of his better tools are like a contact rate and using his speed on the base paths. You don't want to have a, a walk rate like that when you don't have much power. But not only has he built in more power into his game, you know already has eleven home runs, which is two more than he had all year last year. And this is not with the AAA baseball. It's not like a new baseball phenomenon or anything like that. He already has seven walks than he has more walks than he had all of last year, and that's only eighty three games in. You know, he still has another probably 40 or 50 games left to, to, to add on to that total. Is the walk rate great? No. Is the strikeout rate great? No. But everything's get everything's better and you're seeing improvement. There's reasons to be, you know, like cautious in terms of like his approach because sometimes he gets a little swing happy. He does pull the ball a lot. And you wonder, you know, in an era of shifts and, you know, how defensive linemen work and how much he puts the ball on the ground at times what that's going to mean, but for me, considering he's already putting the ball in the air more and he's making more loud contact, combined with the fact that we're going to see, probably going to see him next year getting used to this new baseball and a lot of these fly balls that he's been hitting or balls that would normally turn into outs and turn into doubles, we're going to see more home runs out of him. I'm, I'm firmly convinced of it just because he's already a really strong kid and he's improving at the plate. And if you combine all the improvements we're seeing the state of what he is right now, and having an 873 OPS in the Southern League in AA is no joke. And he's already there, and he already has, and he hasn't gotten that offensive boost that a lot of players have seen in a levels above him. So if you're thinking about upside, if you're thinking about where he is right now in terms of overall talent, overall package, can he pick the game a little bit? Yeah, I mean he, you know, I think he's a good base runner. I don't think he's a good base stealer. I don't think that his approach is perfect at the plate, and I would like him to kind of hit more line drives and kind of get that ground ball rate a little lower. But those are all fair criticisms. But overall upside versus a, as well as a floor that with his defensive acumen, you know, at the very least, if he doesn't hit a ton, he will still be a valuable player defensively. And that has that, and that's a real thing in terms of when you're evaluating prospects. And we're banking on that upside continuing to improve. And it, it, again, it was a unanimous number one for us. Um, after, after that, it was, you know, Ian Anderson and Drew Waters were pretty much in everyone's top, top three. There was a little bit of flipping going on there. There was a little bit of movement around with like Kyle Wright got a little bit love there too. But after that, I mean, like, you know, it gets, there's a lot of varying opinions. And I think that for all of us, it was, you know, kind of picking your, what your preferences with those next probably six or seven guys is to kind of where to put them. And, you know, we were all kind of in generally the same ballpark, but there's a lot of variance there. You know, you'll, you'll see, you know, I think you had, we think Langoliers was as high as, I think I had him at six and then he was, he, you know, he kind of made it into like the 11, 12 range for others. You know, that's just kind of how the list worked this year is that there was a lot of guys that you could group together and kind of in tiers. And I think that some people got, and this just happens every year where the, where the commenters is that they, (laughs) <laughs> is that they latch on to be like, how can this guy be ranked ahead of this guy? You know, and they treat that the difference of like two ranks as this huge difference. You know what I mean? I mean, when when you're making your rankings, do, do, you, do you kind of view that as such as like, you know, these are kind of the tiers and these are my preferences or is this, are, are your rankings more hard and fast than that? Uh, pretty much in tiers and then preferences from those tiers for the most part, although, Sometimes it's easy to just know this guy's number one like Pache was this year, and there was no real competition for that number one spot. So it's a little bit of everything, to be completely honest. 
I got you. I, I wanted to ask you, and because we're going to be kind of talking about some specific, <laughs> some specific questions that we've got. And we're, again, this podcast isn't going to run super long today. Um, we're we're going to try to talk about some specifics and answer some questions, but we don't, you know, again, we don't want to rehash things so much that it gets a little bit ridiculous. But I want to ask you who the hardest guy for you to rank was. Not like you know to, to put on the list at all. Just kind of like where to put him. Hmm. If I had to really think about that one, I would probably have to go with Trey Harris. I think he would be the hardest guy for me to have ranked this year because all he's done is hit. But he came in as a guy, a senior sign in the 30th round last year. So he wasn't drafted as much of a prospect, but he's made some changes to his game and the book, The MVP Machine, gets into a little bit of those changes that he's made, and I haven't finished reading that book yet to really be able to comment on it. So it's hard to really know exactly what he is at this point, especially since, for the most part, we haven't seen him against all that much. I mean, we've seen him plenty in Rome, but what he faced in Rome isn't a challenge for him. Because he played in the SEC for four years. The pitching that he faced on weekends in the SEC is better than the pitching he faces on a regular basis in Rome. Since then, he's been hitting, but he's been in Florida, and there's no way to actually watch the Florida games. And he does, he also doesn't have much help in that lineup around him, so he's doing it without much protection and doing it in a spot where we can't physically watch him. So he's kind of tough to know exactly what he is, the defense makes it harder because his outfield defense is a work in progress. He hasn't been playing second base enough to actually be ranked as a second baseman, so you have to factor in the defense in there. So he's just a hard guy to rank right now because there's the potential that he could be much higher. But there's also, just a year ago, he was an afterthought completely. Yeah, he was a tough one. I, I ended up settling. I kind of like made my, I like to isolate myself and kind of make my rankings and then I'll put them in. And as it turns out, everyone was kind of in the same. It, it, it was kind of funny. Like everyone was kind of in the same area with, with Trey in that 15 to 16 range. He, he went as low as I think 20 for some, but generally it was in that, that, you know, that back half of the teens is where he ended up for us, you know, and it, well, he ended up at 15, and that's kind of where he averaged out. There's a little bit more variance that kind of he, him being a little bit more consistent helped him in that particular case. The two guy, I had two guys that I had fits with. Uh, the first one's gonna be Jeremy Walker because I had functionally written him off a while ago. He is a guy that would flash some games where he'd like you know he would make make it deep into games and you know he would like maybe even put up a good strikeout total here and there. But you'd also have these games where you get completely torched, and I, I saw the fastball, and I'm like, this fastball looks flat. The breaking ball is not that exciting, and he didn't seem to be fooling anybody. It wasn't even deceptive. It wasn't a velocity problem or anything like that. He's, you know, kind of a low to mid 90s guy. Whenever I had seen him, and like the velocity was fine, but it wasn't, you know, the movement wasn't great. And as a starter, I just kind of like, you know, just kind of wrote him off. He was had been hanging around, no question. And what happened this year was so interesting is that. You know, Patrick Weigel was coming back from Tommy John surgery, so they handcuffed Walker to Weigel's start. Weigel would pitch the first two innings or, or however long he was going that day, and then Walker would basically finish it out. But what ended up happening is that Walker was pitching really good in this role as kind of a bullpen guy, 
and Weigel kept length, kept lengthening out, and Walker was getting better and better in shorter and shorter stints, and now he's, you know, only pitching in, out of the bullpen, and he's been lights out. He recently got promoted to Gwinnett and didn't have the best game the other night, but overall he was really good, and he turned into, like, one of the best, if not the best, depending on who you talk to, relief prospects in the, in the organization right now. So for me, where to put him and kind of what to think of him considering the sample size of what he's been doing as a reliever and how to think about that was very interesting to look at, but it was also very difficult to kind of peg. And ultimately, everyone, I'd say everyone, there was a lot, there was some variance there. He ended up being ranked 21, I think, and we had some people rank him lower than that and a couple that were right in that range. So I'm, I'm happy with that ranking because at least we get to talk about him, but I'm not sure how comfortable I am with like saying I feel di- I feel this good that this many players are better or worse than him in the system because it's a very tough profile for me to peg. The other guy was Joey Wentz, and the part of the reason is just that as much as I love Joey when he's good because uh, the secondaries are so good, the fastball is only I, I, the fastball is okay, but it has has good enough movement and he gets enough deception on it that I, I it's. It, he when he's good he's really easy to like as a pitcher, but he has had trouble staying healthy and it's been de- I, I feel confident in saying he's had dead arm multiple times as a pitcher once and for sure once as an amateur and I'm pretty sure that's what caused him issues early on in his pro career. And then he missed issue then he missed time last year down in Florida, and this year had a stretch of games where he had, you know between I think it was like late May through like late June where he was, like, you know, giving a bunch of runs and just wasn't lasting deep in the games, and I'm just kind of like, okay. I mean, he, again, not a guy that you just completely discount and, and drop him off the rankings completely, but up until really close to the rankings were happening, I was really considering kind of putting him down in more in the later teens than where he ended up, which was 11 or 12, I think. Um, let me just double-check, make sure I'm not losing my mind about that. Yeah, uh, 11. and But then he goes on this run for three three straight starts where he, all he gives up is two runs total in those three starts and is striking guys out at will. And as much as I've seen, I have questions about his ability to stay on the field and his questions about just kind of the stuff overall and how it will play against the more advanced hitters, I can't discount the fact that he has had stretches at every level he's been at where he has been really, really good and this is kind of us kind of believing that he can kind of turn that corner because what we haven't seen out of him uh, as a as a starter since his days in Rome is striking out a lot of guys, and we're starting to see that again. He struck out 152 batters in 131 innings in Rome last in 2017, which is no joke, and that's what kind of got him people really excited about him. Those are those are good numbers, and the walk rate is something that you can say, okay, that's going to be good enough. But how is he going to limit contact? And early in the year, he was, you know, getting hit a little harder. But now it looks like he's untouchable, and he's looked really good. The secondaries have looked really good. And when you get that kind of production out of the left-hand side, is why he has he's kind of a fringe top ten guy. And again, wouldn't be surprising if he goes on this a, a really good run in the second half that he ends up being a top ten guy because those pitchers in that you know probably eight to fourteen range really interchangeable for me. And I feel like that. Where we end up being placed will end up being correct, 
But there's a lot of variants where he could get hurt or he could end up having another bad stretch, and then he's just that consistency, that inconsistency label in addition to the injury history might become too much to kind of really buy in and believe him, believe in him. So that those were the two guys that were really hard for me. A lot of these were, again, a lot of these were just in tears for me, and I don't feel super confident in, again, saying this guy is for sure better than this guy and then going down and down. But for the two guys that I'm like, the initial placement is like what feels right and what was right. Those were kind of the two that gave me the most trouble. Um, we got a lot of questions about this and we're going to, I'm going to cover a couple, couple of guys in, we got questions about two main guys. One, where is Luis Gohara? And two, why is Travis Demerit not a top 10 prospect? Uh, you have him too low, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Matt, I'm going to let you talk about Demerit first because he he is a frustrating guy for me to talk about because I feel like that it was not six months ago that everyone was like he is a he is a prospect that's dead to me and those same people are now wondering why he isn't in Atlanta right now or why he isn't higher higher more highly ranked so I want to tee that up for you first. So uh, now I do want to actually make this statement. And my rankings are not actually included in the rankings this year. I was late with my rankings because I was you waiting for shame. Mackay Backstrom to sign. I was expecting it to happen. I had a deadline of last Friday. I fell asleep before I actually submitted them, and he ended up signing Sunday. But my rankings were not included. Had my rankings been included, Demerit would have ranked even lower because I was even lower on demerit than anybody else. And I want to say the reason that I'm lower on him than anybody else is the reason that he's not playing third base right now. He It's not so much what he can do to help the team as much as I feel like he might be a guy that's more interested in what he likes as opposed to helping the team out. Because the reason that he's not playing third base at this point is because he did not like third base. At that point, a couple of years ago, when he stopped playing third base, the Braves had a huge hole in the organization at third base. Austin Riley had not truly emerged as what he is now. Josh Donaldson did not exist for the Braves. And Johan Camargo had not really risen the way that he has to the point where he reached last year and even to where people view him at right now. So there was a huge hole at third base when Demerit no longer wanted to play third base and started to only play the outfield, So, along with some second base. So for me, when a guy has an opportunity at a position and his defense would have been great at third base, the bat would have profiled probably just as well there as it does in the outfield, possibly even better. But when you're not willing to play third base to help the team to also help yourself out, that gives me a reason to pause in just how high I'm willing to rank you because it makes you question what will this guy really be willing to do to get better to help the team out versus what's just going to help him out. So because of that, I'm very cautious with how high I'm willing to rank him. And it's not to say that he's not willing to put in work, but is he willing to do a little bit extra if it's not for something that he himself wants? So because of that, I ranked him a little lower. And I, you have to wonder if some of that is why some of the other guys ranked him 
a little lower as well as just his recent history before this year. Yeah, that was the bigger problem that I had. There's no question in my mind that what Demerit has done this year has been remarkable. It's over a thousand OPS at AAA. I've said multiple times now that if any guy, any guy was going to benefit from the new baseball, it was going to be Travis Demerit because of just as much backspin as he gets on the, uh, on his fly balls, how much carry he already got. I mean, this is the guy who hit 15 home runs in 2017 and eight and eight and 17 home runs in 2018. He, the guy has power. He's had it forever. And when you give a guy a, ba- a baseball that loves to carry and really jumps off bats, he's going to benefit from that. And I'm happy for, about that. And I'm not going to discount that. And maybe it is fair to assume that because he's using the baseball that's being used in the major leagues right now, that he will, he is going to be Closer to what he is now versus what he was a couple years, uh, for the last couple years before that. However, I'm not going to ignore that for two years he got held down in Mississippi, Mississippi and had close to a 700 OPS and had real questions about his hit tool, was striking out a ton and for like weeks at a time was non-existent at the plate. Now there's times where he's, you know, he's really good, but there's other times where he just doesn't do much. And I want to believe in the tool set. And the one, the thing that we got the most, you know, people were like, can you, can you believe that he's ranked this low and all these other guys who don't have any experience and don't have the track record? Demerit doesn't have a track record other than power production recently. The hit tool is a real question. And the one thing you have to have right in the major leagues is your hit tool. And he's showing that out this year, but we're not going to take a first half and just completely discount what we've seen in the past. It's just not going to happen. What we've seen from him, though, isn't a super utility guy. I understand that he's played third base. I understand that he's played second base, and I understand he's played in the outfield. He's basically exclusively being used as an outfielder right now, or a DH, depending on who's getting the DH duties in the down for Gwinnett on a given day. The Braves might say, "Hey, you know, we might have an opportunity for you if you have if you're willing to play all these different positions or whatever," and that would have value. I'm just not sure if he's willing to do it, and I'm not sure if he's really been preparing to do that anyway. He was a really good defensive second baseman. I thought he was a good defensive third baseman. I don't think he was as good as he when he was over at second. But, again, I thought he could have been good over there. I didn't get any indications that he enjoyed the being over at the hot corner, though, and I'm not sure. And I feel like there's opportunities for him to stay in the infield that haven't happened, which makes me believe that he, the organization is that, that he is an outfielder, and he's played only in the corners which means that he can't even kind of like masquerade as a kind of a guy who could play backup center for Acuna or anything like that. The reason why he's as low as he is is because all the upside things that people talk about are not sure things at all. They're just not. He will have power. He will, he will hit for power and the new baseball is good for him. Any, everything else is not a certainty. And it's worth mentioning he was not ranked at all by us preseason at all it's not like we're discounting this what he what we've seen from him in the first half he's been really good but i'm not going to make the guy a top 10 prospect or a top 14 prospect on my list anyway when we have this track record of the, and reasons to be really skeptical of him even though i completely agree that he could be a guy that could break out in a big way especially given kind of the state of the baseball that's in triple a right now it's really kind of built for him but he's also a guy that has at times really disappeared at the plate and the hit tool is a real question. So if you want to know, so if, for those of you who keep asking as to why he was not ranked higher than he was, and again, we put him at, 
we put him at 22, that is not a bad place to be. There's some really high upside guys, and there's some guys who we really like down in that range. You know, if you want to put him in a different tier or, you know, put him in higher in that tier or whatever, I'm totally fine with that. But you have to understand that we don't just look at – this isn't a major – this isn't a MILB Braves, uh, Braves edition of the All-Star team. That's not what this is. This is based on prospect on prospectum, and Demerit has been Rule 5 eligible multiple times, and he hasn't been picked at all. And if he was a top 10 or a top 12 or a top 15 prospect in the system, he would have been picked in those drafts. And, yes, he's looked much better, and maybe he wouldn't survive this next Rule 5 draft. I'm not 100% sure. But I do know that it's far from a certainty that what we are seeing from him is who he is. Although I'm thoroughly enjoying watching it as it's happening. So um, the other question we got a lot about is Luis Gohara. And why he didn't make the rankings at all. And, you know, a lot of people being snarky, you know, like you have this guy who's, you know, doesn't have upside and then Gohara's not even on your list. Um, the short version is that we don't know he's going to pitch again. I mean, like, I'm, Matt, that was your, no one was, no one amongst our staff was like itching to rank Luis Gohara right now. No one was. No one's like, where should I put him? Or what are we doing about him? Um, so what was your kind of thought process when you were kind of thinking about him? Didn't even consider him at all. Didn't even go into my mind for the rankings, not even just my top 30, but even my own honorable mentions, which I don't remember how many guys were on that list, but it was another handful of six, seven, eight guys, I'm going to say. He didn't even get considered for any of those spots, just because I don't know what he's going to be, when he's ever going to pitch, if he's ever going to pitch. I don't know if it's the injuries or the stuff that's gone on off the field, or if it's both. You just don't know what he is or when he will ever be back, if he will ever be back at this point. Here's the thing that kind of kills me about – this is the time of year where there's a lot of prospect rankings. And there's it's possible that some of the – especially on the national level, that those people might have information that we don't have. I will freely admit that. But I've asked around a lot about Gohara amongst people who would know. And the vast consensus is that he hasn't pitched basically in two years, not or at least not any appreciable amount. He has a shoulder injury that no one really knows what the severity is, and we think he's in a throwing program, but I've even gotten mixed reports as to whether or not those have even gone particularly well. The Braves aren't giving any updates on it. This is a guy who has had shoulder in, had, had shoulder issues that have caused him real problems. Have cost and so much so that he's not we don't even know what the even timeline is. Hasn't pitched in two years. Only one way away on one inning away from eligibility from losing his prospect eligibility anyway, which is already kind of a cutoff where we, we, we've already loosely debated as to whether or not we're like, you know, if, if a guy's three at bats or an inning away or whatever, is that really something we're going to like hang our hats on is like, you know, he's still a prospect. We've, we've did this with Dansby in the past. We did it other times where guys were really close when we were writing a list and we just decided just to not include him just to get some new blood on the list. This guy with this injury history who hasn't pitched at all, who also has had very real, off-the-field issues, and not all of them are his fault. He's had deaths in the family. He's had health issues in the family, and that stuff is awful, and it's not fair that he's had to do – has had to deal with that. It's not fair for anybody. We, we are not indifferent to the fact that he is a human being, and we want – I want to see Gohara on the mound. He is an electric arm. When he's healthy and he's right, it's a wipeout slider, and it's a high 90s fastball. Looks like CC Sabathia on the mound and just is lights out. When he is on and he is right, he is really, really good. 
We have no indication whatsoever that's where he is right now. He's had real issues with conditioning in the past. We heard going in the spring training this year he had lost all his weight and committed himself to baseball. We don't hear those stories about his commitment to coming back to playing in baseball anymore. We just don't hear them. We don't hear we don't hear updates saying hey he's working really hard. He might not be able to come back this year because the shoulder injury is really bo- has bothered him and it's going to take a while to come back. We're not hearing that stuff. He has just disappeared into the void in Florida somewhere, probably at the Northport facility somewhere. And he's had other issues that I don't think that are for public consumption, and I don't and have have long been rumored that there's enough smoke there that I wonder if there's also fire in terms of just other off the field, you know, issues that all people deal with, you know, and whether, and it's a, it's worth remembering that even though you've seen a guy pitch and you know that his stuff is really good, all of these issues, not everyone comes back from, and we have no indication whatsoever. And it would be irresponsible for us to say, you know what? I don't know if this guy's ever going to pitch again or play again or when or what kind of injury he has or what his current state of mind is, but I still think he's the 16th or 17th ranked prospect in the system. Other people are free, are free to do that. More power to you if you want to. And if you really, if you really believe that, or maybe there's information that we're not aware of, I'm happy to, to entertain that possibility. But for us, given that he was already so close to prospect eligibility, so like it was already iffy we were going to put him on the list anyway, combined with so many unknowns about what he is right now and where he is at right now, it just didn't feel like a good idea to even rank him at all. And to be perfectly honest, there was not, there was no arguing about this. Like, hey, I feel like he should be here. I feel like he should be on the list. Everyone on the staff was just like, just don't rank him. It's just that simple because we don't know. And if you want us to look back at video from two years ago and then rank him in the current crop of the prospect lists, then I guess you're, you're welcome to do that in your own heads. But that's not what we do. We, we, we look at the best information that we have right now, not only from what our eyes tell us and what our sources tell us, but just kind of the whole body of work and understanding the context of the situation. So for those of you who have been yelling about where's Luis Gohara, how could you possibly leave him on the list and you know put guys who you think don't have much upside on the list, et cetera, et cetera, that's why. That's why that happened. And we feel good about that. And honestly, we probably if even if he comes back and pitches, the next time he pitches in the major leagues, he's gonna he's not gonna be a prospect. The next and unless he somehow goes less than an inning, I suppose. You're not going to see him on a Talking Shop podcast uh, prospect list again, and it's not because we hate the guy. We think he's an extremely talented guy. But just kind of where he is and kind of the unique situation that he's in, given the injuries and given all the other stuff and the context around it, just we just don't feel good about that that the level of information that's out there and understanding it. So we're just we're just not going to rank him. And if he comes back and ends up being a lights out bullpen piece or even ends up in the rotation in the future, we'll be thrilled. But we just don't feel comfortable ranking him. That's the short version of the story. I say that as we, you know, that was not a short explanation or conversation at all. Um, so other, other than that, um, looking at the list that we have, was there anyone in particular that you were surprised by that there was a lot of love for or not enough love for, Matt, before we kind of go into the questions? No, not really. I mean, I think because I talk to each of you every single day, I kind of already had an idea of, where everyone was going to rank almost everyone for the most part. So there was no real surprise for me. 
Yeah, I think there was a lot of angst amongst all of us. It's kind of we all wanted to rank Vodnik really highly, and we and he and he and being ranked fourteenth from where he was is like a big jump for us. And we're still hearing from others and others that would know that we should rank him higher. So <laughs> I think we're all feeling good about kind of giving he he deserves some helium. He you know he, I could see him especially given the type of stuff he has like the high octane fastball and you know just how much he's improving and kind of developing as a starter. He could be a top 10 guy as well. Um, I feel like I, I wanted to rank Bryce ball higher and I think everyone kind of wanted to, too, but with a first base only guy that we're only seeing in rookie ball, we just want to make sure he was included, but like putting put a, put a book, an asterisk next to that one. That's one I think we're all willing to revisit if he continues to torch the Appy League and maybe even gets promoted to Rome where, and continues to do well at the, in full season ball. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being a guy that, that, that those rankings change, but I wasn't really surprised by anything. The nice thing about doing a composite and especially when you drop the high and low like, like, like I did once I was develop, calculating the, con, the composite is that it kind of all the background noise just kind of goes away and it just kind of, it feels like the compromise list. Without having to like negotiate it, and it was nice that just kind of we got we, there's a lot of really guys guys we like a lot, a lot of really interesting guys, and it's one thing that's important for us, and I think gets lost in a lot of this is that all of this is negotiable. If the facts change, if what we're seeing changes, if we get new and better information about guys, whether they be too high or too low, we, none of us have any issues whatsoever in changing our opinions on any of these guys. None. If we start, you know, even as much as Matt has been so upset about the Langoliers and Shoemake pick, if he sees that they're performing well and he starts hearing from other really smart people that, hey, we really like this guy, he's performing well, no one hates anyone on this list. No one loves these guys to a fault on any one of these lists. We have our favorites. We have our biases. But we try really hard to make sure that we're understanding those biases and being willing to change our, our minds on guys. We just are. And we hope that we continue to do that uh, going forward because I think that's the, the one thing about our list that I really love is that we don't just dig on, dig in on a guy and just if they're terrible, we still continue to dig on them. Or if they end up outperforming our expectations, we still say they're bad. You know, We try our best to make sure that we're – our opinions and our, the information that we're getting is constantly evolving. So if the guys on the list that you were really happy about or not happy about, you know, keep in mind all these things do change. Before we go on to the questions uh, part of the, the podcast, which, again, just going to be a few questions that we're going to take from you guys, we're going to take a short break for an ad. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, and we're back. Um, I did want to just kind of give some folks the opportunity to ask some questions about the list. 
We, I asked for the questions before the top six came out, but I don't think anyone was particularly ex- surprised about the top, who those top six were. I had a lot, I had a lot of people guessing and one person got it right and a lot of people were really close as to who the, what the top six was and the order. Um, but I wanted to give folks the opportunity to ask and I'm going to kind of throw these questions on the map first and I'll do my best to chime in as, as the, as we kind of go through this conversation. But the first question is from Matt Lawson. Uh, and he asks, now that we're heavily into the MILB season and have seen a glimpse of the 2019 draftees, do you feel any better about the depth of the Braves' lower minors? Matt, you first. Yes. I, the day of the draft, or just after the draft, I was thinking to myself as I was sitting at a Gwinnett game, wow, there really is not much talent in the system outside of the pitching here and the entire Mississippi team. The I mean, there were a couple players at that point that were scattered around that had interesting value. But overall, the system was pretty barren, minus those two teams. And suddenly, now, the lower minors are filled with guys to watch at this point, just because of this year's draft. Along with some slightly under-the-radar international guys from the last couple of years. Guys like uh, Ilaizel Stevens and Brandon Mosquita. Uh, even Jose Palma to a lesser extent. But these guys have emerged along with all of these draft picks from the high school ranks. And I want to say there were eight of the high upside high school players, six of them that were taken on day three, and two of them that came from day two, which have really helped to restock the lower minors for me. I will say that the, the lower minors are a far more interesting than they were before than before the draft. Um, Rome had been pillaged pretty heavily, you know, with, with the promotions of guys like Trey Harris and some other guys who have been kind of slowly getting promoted. It was tough to watch the low minors, uh, but with rookie ball starting up, we start seeing some names that we were recognizing. And then once the guys started getting assigned from the draft class is when things got really interesting. Now, I will say that outside of Langoliers and Shoemake, a lot of these guys are lottery ticket types. I don't feel like that there's like a guy who's like, wow, what was he doing there? And he has really kind of shown out. The guys, some guys we really like, Stephen Paulini has not looked good in the GCL to start, but he was a really raw high school kid, so I expect him to struggle. And he's also coming from Connecticut, so that has to play into it as well. Yeah, that's not a level of competition that is particularly high, and you're kind of betting on tools there, but there's a Again, a lot of lottery ticket types at the GCL, but there are a lot of interesting lottery ticket types at the GCL and guys who seem like they, can, they, they should be able to hit and given some time and some pro instruction and getting in through instructs and all that stuff. They could, they could really start doing some damage and really kind of being interesting guys to watch for next year. We're not, I'm not, we're not going to draw too many conclusions from this year just because the nature of the draft was kind of, you know, be fairly safe at the top with Langoliers and Shoemake and then take a bunch of lottery tickets and kind of see what happens. That's an interesting way to to do a draft. I'm not sure if it's good or bad yet. I don't. I uh, and it depends a lot on your scouting department and the guys that you end up picking. And we won't. This is not a draft that we're going to be able to evaluate even next year. It's going to be a few years before we can get really understand what the level of talent we got from this draft. But when you have guys like Michael Harris, Vaughn Grissom, Joey Estes, Makai Backstrom, Bryce Ball, you know, from everywhere from like you know, the day two guys through a lot of the really interesting day three guys. There's a lot of them that are very interesting. And so am I more feel, do I feel any better about the depth of lower minors? Yes, I do. I don't think that that depth is a sure thing 
and I, you always worry when there's this much you're banking on this much prep talent that how fleeting that depth would be, if that makes any sense. But there are there is talent there, and there's upside throughout. It's not just and it's not just the hitters we mentioned. You know, we had Mitch Stallings, who wasn't a 2019 guy. You know, he's been pitching really well down in Danville. There's some really interesting happening. Interesting things happening down in Rome. Victor Vodnik's kind of coming into his own. Even guys, there's other guys who are like continuing to try to make their way and find themselves and figure out what they're going to be as professionals. And guys who I don't think that have even made the conversion to starters, like a Jake Higginbotham, who I still like and should, I think should get a look as a starter. Those conversions haven't happened yet. So there's a lot of still interesting things that are happening down in the lower minors. Whether or not that, that depth is something that stays and is, and is continuous. I'm not sure, but I do think that there is a lot more to be excited about and interested in down in the lower minors. And again, we get we get to talk about you know, you know, Bryce Ball is almost turning into a meme at this point just because he seems to do something every night, and you know, a lot of other stuff like that. That a lot of that's half that's just kind of us having fun, but it's also nice to be able to talk about these lower minor guys because ultimately it gets a little boring just talking about Christian Pache, Drew Waters, and then the pitching staffs all the time because that's just kind of what it's been this year. Um, now that, you know, guys like so many guys have graduated and Austin Riley got promoted and then he graduated, you know, it's just, it was, this is a very big year and a big move in terms of what the prospect class is. So it's nice to have some guys that are really interesting to talk about, even though we don't know what they're all are yet. And we don't really know what we're going to have even next year is the kind of what those guys are going to be and where they're going to end up. Um, Casey asked, uh, he's, I know you drop high and low rankings for each player, but it didn't make me wonder if there's any player who was ranked all over the place in the staff's individual rankings, as in a hypothetical, a player ranked five in one set and 27 in another. Uh, Matt, I'm going to throw this to you, and I'm going to kind of start poking around the list a little bit to make sure that I'm kind of up to speed as well. I wouldn't say so much that there was one guy that was all over the list as much as some of the high school players from this year's draft were all over the list. I think I was a little higher on them than most because I value upside more than most. And I think... Garrett and Grav were also a little bit higher on them, while uh, some of the others were a little bit lower on those same players because I think they might value the floor a little bit more and some certainty than just pure upside. So I think something like that might be the most up-and-down list type thing. But other than that, there really wasn't much that separated things other, other than maybe Demerit, who some ranked a little higher, I was definitely the low man on just because I have a hard time buying into him after the whole third base thing. But that's really it for me. Yeah, uh, I will say that. I mean, Demerit was a little bit all over the place. I mean, and I say a little bit. He was kind of he was in the the back half of the top thirty for most people, right? And the prep guys for sure were a bit all over the place just because with, you know, guys like Vaughn Grissman, Michael Harris, and, you know, we didn't rank Makai Backstrom, but, you know, guys like that in that sort of classification of prep guys who weren't, you know, first or second round picks, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly where you want to put them. If you, you're, you're basically banking on upside that the Braves were willing to bank on, but maybe other teams weren't. So you just have to, and we just don't have good looks at them. We just don't. We just don't. A lot of these guys are going to be in leagues that we we don't have radar guns on them. We don't have video of them. So we're kind of having to rely on the smart people and folks like Matt who have been obsessing over amateur baseball for the better part of a decade now and, you know, just understanding who these guys are. 
and being willing to be like, hey, we're, these, we're going to take a chance and say these are guys are worth talking about. And if that changes, then that changes. So be it. It's totally, that's completely fine. Um, but the other ones that were a little bit all over the place were guys who have been injured, like Tristan Beck and Freddie Tarnock. Uh, Tarnock in particular was kind of all over the place. Some people were just kind of, you know, like, hey, I believe in the raw talent in the arm and the rough year he's had this year. Whereas, for like, for example, for me, I ranked him lower and I figured I was going to be at the lower end just because the combination of being injured and just struggling to put his command together and really produce in what I believe is a pitcher. Why well, I say I believe it's definitely a pitcher friendly league in the Florida State League, but I feel like he should be performing better even if he was raw down there and he hasn't been. So, Maybe he comes back from injury and he everything's totally fine and we start seeing glimpses of the guy who's striking out a lot of guys out of the bullpen. I'm thinking more and more as I kind of see his results that he probably might be destined for the bullpen. But it's a really live arm and you kind of let him pitch his way completely out of there. And he's a guy that has real and substantial upside if he figures things out as a starter and kind of has like the perfect frame and just you know, always putting on muscle. But I'm sure he's also still learning his body too, so... He's not a guy that I feel like I need to have the book written on him yet either. I'm just for at, at this moment in time, a guy who's missed some time with injury combined with some performance issues. I wasn't as high as as as, as some were others were able to do. Uh, Colby Allard was a little bit polarizing too. I think we were most of us were starting to settle on that you know maybe he's going to be he's not a total disaster as a prospect and that he's kind of settled into a role. He's not the same guy that we thought he once was, but he's still a good pitching prospect. But there were a couple others who were far less convinced that he was actually still even a pitching prospect at all. So if you're looking for names like that is to kind of, no one ranked a guy in the top five that the rest of us were like, what, are you crazy? What are you doing? Um, but there was, there was certainly some variance. Um, we actually already talked about this guy, but I'm, I'll throw this back to you, Matt, just to see if you had any extra thoughts that you wanted to throw in on it. Um, and this is from uh, Ben Lewis. And he said, Trey Harris has become in my eyes, the most intriguing prospect in the system. What is his ceiling and what is his floor? I'll throw it to you first, buddy. I do not actually know at this point until I can actually see him against double-A pitching. At this point, what we've seen is remarkable. But we talked about him a lot earlier, and I mentioned my feelings on him where I don't think that the pitching he faced in Rome is better than what he faced in college on a regular basis, and we haven't actually gotten to see him in Florida. So, And he also doesn't have much protection, and it's a pitcher's league. So I'm not sure exactly what to make of him just yet. Obviously, based on where I ranked him, I believe that there's something there, but I'm not sure quite what his ceiling is right now until he gets to double A and we can see him produce there. It's definitely one of probably the most must the most must must watch guy in the system for me right now, just because you don't know what he really is at this point. Yeah, it's a tough call, right? Because I don't really. I think the hit tool's real. I really, I truly do, and. With that being said, the other tools are a big question mark. He's not he's not a burner for sure. Uh the power has been present but not crazy. Uh I think that's fair to say. And uh obviously we're you have to take a lot of this with a grain of salt just because we're talking about the Florida State League. You know, people were like, you know, he's coming back to Earth, he has a seven seventy one OPS, you know, down in, in 
in high A right now. But it's worth mentioning that I think there are six guys in the Florida State League to have an OPS of 800 or higher, and that's not great. Um, so it's 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 so hard to gauge what. How do I put it? It's so hard to gauge what this performance in high A means or doesn't mean, and the same is equally true in Rome for all the the reasons that Matt mentioned. I'm really interested to see how he does with a with the with the with the new baseball as well because while we are not seeing a ton of power production and we're seeing some drop off in his overall power numbers down in Florida, his fly ball rate is now 45. percent So there's you know you wonder if there's some there's some there's a bit of BABIP stuff that is going against him. The line drive rate went down significantly in Florida. And that's something that I want to keep an eye on because, again, he I feel like the way his power best plays is with his line drives and be able to get power that way. And I feel like he's going to need to just make sure he's hitting enough line drives and not but and not grounding the ball too much. But his ground ball rate's improved uh, since he got to high A. And, again, the fly ball rate, he's just not having much luck on those fly balls. So... Hopefully he can, you know, it's not infield fly balls and a lot of pop-ups and he can continue to drive the ball and continue to improve. The WRC Plus is still 134 in high A, which is really, really good. I agree with Matt. It's right now he feels like a hit a hit tool guy who might end up being as a decent everyday, like his ceiling might be as a, a decent everyday corner outfielder, but maybe without a ton of defensive upside and maybe without a lot of power upside. But that grade is very much subject to change once we kind of see how his batted ball profile works with a new baseball and against more advanced pitching. It's possible, and we've seen this happen, where against more advanced pitching, he kind of knows what their plan is going to be against him and that he can actually thrive in that environment and he can understand how to approach his bats a little better, whereas in high A and in low A, they're kind of just guys who are throwing. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see where he where he's at. He's a tough guy to peg right now because, again, it's the, the thing we're the certain, most certain about is the hit tool. After that, it's it's very much TBD. Um, <laughs> this is a weird question. I'm not really sure how to answer it fairly, but uh, we the, question, the last question we're going to cover before we let you guys go is, with the system getting lighter with graduations and penalties, which level should the Braves trade from to preserve their depth? I have some general thoughts on this, but I'll throw this to you before I share them. Easy for me. It's the AAA pitching. There's just so much pitching right now in the upper minors to Atlanta, and we're going to be acquiring more pitching. I think that's a given. I think everyone knows we need relievers. I think everyone knows that we're after a starter. So we're adding more pitching and have so much pitching that Ian Anderson is ready for AAA right now today. I don't think anyone can argue that. I mean, if you look back to his time last year, he has currently made, let me look at his stats quickly, as I pull him up in baseball reference, he has made 21 starts in Mississippi right now in his career and has gone 6-8 and eight with a 280 ERA and 122 whip. He's obviously been significantly better. I did the write-up on him in the uh, Talking Chop Top 30, and you can really break down how the command has gone forward recently. But he's a guy that belongs up, not in double-A at this point. But he's just blocked. There's just nowhere for him to go. I mean, look at Kyle Wright. With any other organization, Kyle Wright would be pitching in the big leagues today. 
ignore his total numbers this year. If you look at his numbers this year and see that Kyle Wright in his first eight starts in AAA this year had a 741 ERA with an 808 OPS against him, but in his last five starts, and this is since the 5th of June, he's made five starts before today, and he's pitching very well through the first four innings today. He has a 210 ERA and a 552 OPS against him. So he has been dominant after being not so good early in the year. So Kyle Wright belongs in major leagues today. Ian Anderson belongs in AAA today. I mean, Tuki Toussaint showed last year he's ready for a big league rotation spot. Bryce Wilson is ready for a more regular big league role instead of having to bounce back and forth. But yet, and, and these are just some of the guys that I'm mentioning right now. I mean, Patrick Weigel is getting ready to be big league ready at this point as well. But there's just, Colby Allard could pitch in a big league rotation today. Well, or close to it. I think he's still developing a little bit, still working on that new cutter. But how do you not trade from that pitching surplus, especially as you're about to add even more to that surplus? Yeah, I, I, Matt pretty much echoes what I think. It's not a level consideration. I think it depends on the guys that you're targeting. For tra- you know, If you're trading for, at the trade deadline, if you're only trading for, let's say, some middle or late-inning relief help, Especially those rental types. You know, we're not talking about guys who are like top 100 guys, at least in my mind. You know, you're talking about some guys who are more lottery ticket types, like are interesting arms or interesting guys. And it's not a level consideration. It's kind of more like back half of the top 30 type guys, right? But if you're talking about where you're deepest, it's not a question of what level. I mean, AAA is a, a pretty safe bet because there's a lot of guys who I think that Play, uh, fans would be happy to get rid of, or at least wouldn't mind getting rid of. And we're talking about guys, you know, like Kyle Wright, or even guys like Bryce Wilson, or guys like even a guy like a Patrick Weigel, or you know, some of the relievers there, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the, like people want us to answer that way, but that's not fair. If you're going after a starter that maybe has a little bit of control and things like that, you're going to have to give up a, a, a real pitching prospect or a real prospect. And where the Braves are the deepest is in pitching, and that might be guys who are actually on the Major League roster right now. They're not necessarily prospects anymore. It's not a question of the level. It's a question of kind of what the return is going to be and what that's going to take. But if you're talking about trying to make sure you're not sacrificing depth too much or sacrificing the system overall, then you're going to trade from that starting pitching depth, and that hasn't changed in two years. You know, just that same level of pitching depth has just kind of slowly, the the slide rule of that group of players has just slide, you know, trended upwards in terms of, you know, proximity to the major leagues or even already on the major league roster. But you don't necessarily look at, you know, I want to trade guys from double A or I want to trade guys from high A so that I can kind of preserve depth and continue, make roster continuity work down the line. Because I don't foresee a ton of roster movement in the minor leagues the rest of the year. I just don't. Um, I don't think Drew Waters or Christian Pache are going to get promoted. I don't think there's necessarily a reason to do that. And how they, the Braves manage the 40-man roster with the guys that are at AAA is kind of dictating a lot of that. We might see some pitchers moved, but only if there's a significant trade before the trade deadline, because right now it just doesn't make any sense to do so. Do I think that's going to that, that's gonna be the state of things forever? No. I think that, that at some point, I would have thought it would already happen by now, but at some point they're going to have to trade some of these starting pitching prospects just to kind of make rosters work and to give guys real opportunities who are really good. But overall, it's not a question of what level of the minor leagues that we're talking about. The question is kind of what the return is 
and what the Braves' needs are in the short term and what that's going to ultimately have to cost. And, you know, there's going to be guys in double A that are going to meet, meet certain costs, <laughs> cost needs, I guess, or cost requirements that the guys in AAA can't right now or vice versa. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't want to give up an Ian Anderson for just anybody, but, you know, maybe a guy, if you give up a, a lesser prospect that is in AAA or in high A or whatever, then that, that works. It's just not, a, it's not a question of the minor league roster depth in my mind. It's just kind of more of a positional thing. And it's easiest to do, deal from pitching simply because there's a lot of options and makes negotiations a lot easier rather than, uh, you know, having to dig in on one or two guys. Um, with all that said, guys, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate all the support on the podcast, the podcast as well as on the prospect list this week. The, the, everyone was really reading the hell out of it and you know commenting and discussing, and we really love all that. So thank you so much for all the support, for not just this this list and for our rankings in the, this past week, but also of all the support in the past. If you want to support the podcast, make sure you go to the Road to Atlanta Twitter account, a Twitter account at Road the Number Two Atlanta. You can go to our Patreon page, and if you want to just give a few dollars a month to however much you want a month to help support the podcast where we can continue to grow it and try to go on sweet trips. Uh, my my hope and goal is to po- try to make it to a futures game before too long and, you know, or do do another trip like that where we can kind of see, you know, maybe make another trip to Florida, assuming we can get some sort of guarantee that it's not going to rain every day, you know, stuff like that. We want to be able to do that stuff, maybe make a trip to spring training as well. We want to be able to do that stuff, and if you want to support us and be able to make make help help make that happen, just go to the Patreon page. If you again, you just all you do is sign up. It's completely secure, and you know, again, if you want to give five dollars a month, all that adds up, and we would greatly appreciate it. We love all the support we've gotten in the past, and if you guys want to continue that, we're all for it, and we really appreciate it. Make sure that you're checking in. Usually, this podcast is happening on Thursday nights. We've had to kind of do a little bit off schedule recently, but it should be going on Thursdays, and everyone should be back. We should have Garav. Uh, Garrett's actually already gotten in touch with me, and he's kind of wanting to get back on. It feels like his audio and his technical situation on a lot of fronts seems to be much better now, and hopefully we can get him to come back on, and talking to him is hilarious, and he he's super insightful, and you know, anytime he's on the podcast, it's a one in three chance that something catastrophic will happen to him, and we get to listen to it, and that's hysterical. So thank you again so much, guys, and until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.